I want to talk to you about two people in the Bible for whom Easter came late. Now, most of you know the general outline of the Easter story. On the first day of the week, that Easter Sunday, those women ran to the tomb and found it empty. And by the way, there wasn't a man there. It was the ladies that showed up. There was an angelic visitation. They went to tell the disciples, and the rest, well, that's history. But there's a lesser-known story in the Gospel of Luke. It doesn't come at the beginning of the day. It comes at the end of the day because sometimes hope comes early and sometimes hope comes late. You know, why it comes late for this couple may have something to say about your life, your hope, and God in your story. So let me read it. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 16. It says, Now that same day, Easter Sunday, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were disputing with each other about everything that happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, these are two members of that tiny community of people now following Jesus. One of them's named Cleopas, and in the Gospel of John, we read that one of the women at the cross was Mary, wife of Cleopas. This is not Jesus' mother, Mary. Mary was a common name. So they were present when Jesus was crucified. Dr. Tom Wright, who's a Bible scholar, says most likely these two people on the road to Emmaus were husband and wife, Cleopas and Mary. Luke says they were disputing with each other. I know they must be married. <laughs> Might be a little bit of tension going on here because John's gospel says that Mary was present when Jesus died, but there's no record of her husband Cleopas being there. Maybe that's why there's a little bit of uh, tension going on. They're trying to figure out what's happened. So while they're doing that, a stranger comes up, and Luke has this intriguing phrase. He says, they were kept from recognizing him. Now, we, the readers, know exactly who it was, Jesus, but they don't. They're in the dark, and for some time, this stranger walks along, and he eventually asks them, what are you guys disputing? What are you doing as you walk along? Well, that question stops them in their tracks. They stood still. Scripture says their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor in Jerusalem? Don't you read social media and the news? Do you not know the things that have happened there these days? Now, how would you rate that question on politeness? It's like saying, Have you been living under a rock? Don't you pay attention to anything? Now, Jesus, Jesus could have gotten off a good comeback. He could have said, well, yes, actually, I have heard of Jesus. And by the way, I am Jesus, and I was there at the tomb. But he doesn't. He's very polite. He just says, what things? Tell me. And they tell him about Jesus of Nazareth. They said he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. But we had hoped, there's that word, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So they're telling him their story. Everybody has a story. You have a story. And at the heart of their story are these words. 
we'd been hoping. If you live long enough, you know about those words in your story. We'd been hoping to raise a great family, wonderful children, have a long life. And then the doctor said, we'd been hoping. We had this great dream, going to do some great things. And then I lost my job. I felt like such a failure. I'd been hoping to end this habit. I just can't seem to shake it, and it's got me in its grip. Or I'd been hoping, but then he told me he doesn't love me. We'd been hoping, and then our child ran down a road we never thought they'd run down. We'd been hoping he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, that he was going to make our story come out okay, but our story apparently has gone all wrong. So you need to know this about their story because it relates to your story and mine. They had a story. They were part of a special people, and they had a destiny, and they had a calling. They were going to be the servants, the glorious representatives of God and of good and of hope on earth. But because they were believing the wrong story, their story was going all wrong. There was no glory in Israel at this time, just suffering. Way back at the very beginning, they were in exile in Egypt in slavery, and then it was just one oppression after another. Syria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. It was a story in search of an ending. Then Jesus came along. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. He said things nobody else said. He did things nobody else did. And they thought, maybe he'll set this story right that he'd kind of lead a revolution of goodness in the human heart and overthrow oppression and make the enemy and end his, his work and make the people Israel prosperous, great, so all the world would know God rules the world, that he's king of all kings. So they had all these hopes. They had their idea how it was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, everything went south, and he ends up on a cross, so come on, you could see why they were so dejected, because they were believing the wrong story, and because we look at the Bible from the other side. So put yourself in their place. Nobody expected this. It's not just that he died. He died on a cross for crying out loud, and by definition, whatever they were hoping for, it wasn't going to be him. He couldn't be the Messiah, because crucifixion was what Rome did to demonstrate that some rebel is not the Messiah and is not going to win. They even go on to say this. Even on this day, there have been these strange reports. The women went to the tomb, and they said his body wasn't there. They talked about seeing an angel. Everything's going crazy. We're going home. And then this stranger said to him, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe. Now, why does he say that? That sounds real impolite. He's not saying, you are a couple of dim light bulbs. He's not insulting them. Everybody's had this experience. You think you know what's going on. You think you understand the story you're in. And then in a moment of blinding clarity, you discover you didn't understand it at all. Kind of reminds me of a man married for more than 60 years. They shared everything. No secrets from each other, except the little old woman had a shoebox at the top of her closet that she cautioned her husband, never open and never talk about it. So for 60 years, he had never even thought about the box. 
But one day, this little old woman, his wife, got real sick, and the doctor said she's not going to recover. So in order to sort out their affairs, the little old man took down the shoebox, took it to his wife's bedside. She agreed it was time he ought to know what was in the box. And when he opened it, he found two crocheted dolls and a stack of money totaling $95,000. He asked her about the contents. She said, well, when we were married, my grandmother told me the secret of a happy marriage was never to argue. She told me that if I ever got mad with you, I should just keep quiet and crochet a doll. And the little old man was so moved, he had to fight back tears. Only two dolls in that box? Only two little interruptions in 60 years of living and marriage? So he grew even more in love with this woman than he had ever been before. He said, honey, that moves me deeply. That explains the dolls. But what about this money? Where did all this money come from? Oh, that, she said. Every time I crocheted a doll, I sold it at the craft fair for five bucks. <laughs> I love that story because he didn't get the story, right? That's like the human condition of mankind. You think you know your story, but you don't know your story. And one day you find out what your story is, but you don't know what it is right now. Then you wake up and you're in another story. I'm walking down a road I never thought I'd be on. That's the human condition. What, what happens when you find out you've been getting your own story wrong? Because, see, the life you lead will flow out of the story you believe you're living. Everybody has a story. Every story is looking for an ending. I kind of wonder what your story is. Well, they had a story, but this stranger says, you don't get the story. You don't know the story yet, so let me tell you how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He says, did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures about himself. And I thought, man, I would have loved to have heard that Bible study. Mm. He said, let me tell you your story a little bit differently because there's a pattern, there's a theme, there's a picture in Scripture that nobody sees because it comes from the heart of God and God thinks differently than people do. So he says, so let me tell you the story. The story the Bible tells is a story of suffering as old as the world, as old as our sin, as painful as death, the story of suffering. And not just suffering, but joy also, joy that comes out of suffering, joy that lives in the middle of suffering. And at the heart of this story, the primary character is this joyful, suffering God upon whom falls the weight of a broken world because the world's gone all wrong. And we know that. We got different names for it. The Bible says the core of the problem is called sin. So God chooses this little people called Israel, and he says, I want I want to have a group of people who come to know who I am and come to know what I want for life. And, and he would have a people called prophets paint this picture of shalom, the way the world's supposed to be if sin doesn't have it by the throat without injustice or greed or oppression or lust where things are the way God wants them to be. So he has Israel become this little bitty vehicle for the expression of it. And these people figured that what that meant, now remember this is what they're thinking the story is. These people figured 
that what that meant was that God would be vindicated when God's people were great like other nations define greatness. This is how folks thought in the ancient world. Every nation had a god or gods, and they all figured that if the nation went great, it showed their god was the greatest of all. So everybody thought when God's people are great, when they have a great army and great wealth and great power and secure borders and vast empires, etc., that's the story of the world in which we live. So when you have it all, when you make it to the top, when you succeed, well, that'll vindicate your story. But instead, Israel's got none of that. Their people suffered in exile. They started out in Egypt in slavery. Then it looked like they get free, but then their story goes on where there's an internal mess. And then all these other nations, the Philistines, the Assyrians, Babylon, Persians, the Greek, the Rome, they'll take them captive. They never knew a day they weren't under the foot of another nation. But something's going on. And over the centuries and over the generations, in that suffering, in exile, a small group of people would come to the idea that it would be in faithfulness to God in the midst of suffering that their calling, their destiny would be fulfilled, and that would be their story. It's like from the beginning, there's this world, there's this wonderful God who loves it, and then sin messes everything up and makes us small and narrow, and the story gets smaller and smaller, and it comes down to Israel, a small little country, and then it gets smaller, and it comes down to a tiny remnant until it finally comes down to just one man. And the stranger says, now think about this one man. What if the depth of his suffering actually confirms his identity instead of disproving it like the world thinks? What if the crucifixion is not Rome's defeat of Jesus like the world thinks, but God's defeat of evil and sin and guilt? Mm. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Did not the Christ have to suffer? What if all of history, the whole story, is squeezed down as small as one man, as small as the opening of a tomb? In the, they're going crazy while he talks. And he says, sir, the day is almost done. Evening is here. Would you come to our home? Would you eat with us? And as he broke bread, maybe they saw the scars on his hands that the nails had made. Don't know. Could have. It happened. It says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road to Emmaus and opened up the scriptures to us? Then they saw. They saw the whole story of this sin and suffering. It's not just that in Jesus God suffers. It's also that in Jesus God triumphs. In Jesus, God has triumphed over our sin, triumphed over our guilt, triumphed over our failures, triumphed over our confusion, our regrets, our problem, our death even, so that you, whatever road you're walking down, whatever darkness you're facing, whatever regrets you may carry, defeat does not get the last word. Sin and death does not get the last word. Because this same Jesus who was crucified by Rome did not stay crucified. He was raised up by God the Father from the dead in the greatest act of power in human history. 
And when he was raised up, every hope of every heart was raised up with him. For Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Then this happens. Luke is telling a story, a story that changes your story and mine if you let it. At the beginning of the story of the Bible, there's a couple, Adam and Eve, and somehow the whole world of sin gets folded into their story. So one day they defy God. They decide to live without God, apart from God, rejection of God, and they do it by eating the forbidden fruit. There's an interesting phrase in Genesis. It says when they ate the fruit, their eyes were, anybody remember? Open. But this was a horrible opening because it produced a spiritual blindness. Their eyes were open now to see the possibility of sin and darkness, envy, greed, hatred, oppression, injustice, apathy, hoarding, guilt, shame, and death. Now they could see. Then they went into exile. They had to leave the garden. Life away from God, that's our story. So for generation after generation and century after century, it's the human condition until one day when a stranger came and lived among us and another couple received food that came from the hands of the broken, crucified Son of God, exactly the same phrase from Genesis gets used. It says, then their eyes were open. Now they could see the suffering love of God and the hope of a risen Savior. And they got so excited, Luke says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Anybody happen to remember how far away Jerusalem was? Seven miles. Now, they had already been through a crucifixion one day, all day. So imagine how exhausted they were. No sleep the night before. They'd been through a resurrection. They got an education from Jesus. And now a 14-mile marathon in one day. And it didn't faze them. They couldn't help themselves because they've got a story now. And they have to tell the story. And they do. So let's leave them in Jerusalem to tell their story because let's close and talk about your story. I don't know how it's going right now. I do know that if you live long enough, you get disappointed. I know if you live long enough, you suffer in ways we didn't see coming. And all that confusion makes you wonder, where's God and whose story is this? I've been hoping, but I've been hurt. I get so anxious. I feel so alone. I failed so bad. I gave in again. Everybody has to choose what story they're going to live by. And our world will give you one. A lot of people in our world will tell you, come on, baby, go with the success story. Just be successful. It's all about what people have always thought. It's about money, power, health, beauty, hot, buff, famous, prestige, status. Did I leave out anything? The problem with that is if you live with that long enough, eventually you will die. And they will bury your hot, buff, attractive, successful, wealthy body in the ground. Now, what are you going to do? What about all the suffering in this sorry world? So life has got to be something more than a success story. Then for 2,000 years, there's been another story. Jesus has been taking the unlikeliest little stories and weaving them into his. This is a true story about a girl named Pam. And she was very confused about this whole God thing growing up. It'd be easy because one of her parents was Catholic and the other was Jewish. 
When she was a little girl, one of them would take her to the synagogue. And then when she would go home, the other parent would make her say a rosary to ask forgiveness for going to the synagogue. So she wanted nothing to do with God. Her home was a mess. She started drinking when she was real young, and by the time she was 16, she could drink any guy under the table. She was married by the time she was 21. She had been married five times. She finally got so desperate, she joined AA. But when you join AA, you're supposed to turn your will and life over to a higher power. But she didn't want anything to do with God. So she says, okay, I'll do it, but I'll choose my own higher power, and I'll name him Ralph. So she turned her life and will over to Ralph. But it, worked, it wasn't working out too good. One night at a meeting, a guy comes in in bad shape, worse than she had ever seen. He smelled foul. He looked bad. He's still drinking. He got up and said, my name is Ralph. I'm an alcoholic. Immediately in her heart, she said, that's not my God. And she was on the road to Emmaus. She didn't know it, but she was. And then one day a stranger came alongside her and said, Pam, I'll give you a different story if you want. I'll give you a better ending. And her eyes got opened. So for 2,000 years now, Jesus has been doing this, this stranger. And he'll do it for you, anybody watching. I don't know what your story is, but I know if you live it long enough, it'll take some turns you didn't want. Let me tell you a story about you. You're not here. You're not watching online by accident. You are made and loved by a God who cares about you more than you can imagine. Your story gets all messed up, mine too, because our world is all fouled up and mostly because of sin. You know, turning away from this wonderful God and we get it all wrong and we can't fix it by ourselves. So one day this stranger came and lived and walked among us, and he said things nobody had ever said. He did things nobody has ever done. He went to a cross, and it looked like for all the world, like a death just like any other death, kind of like the end of the story. But it turns out that when he was dying on the cross, he was dying for you and dying for me. His whole suffering wasn't about him. He was taking what you and I deserve. And because he was Jesus, the Son of God, he couldn't stay dead. And on the third day, he was raised again. And there are these rumors, these whispers in our world, that every once in a while, a stranger comes along somebody and says, let me tell you another story. And folks, your story can become part of that story this Easter if you want it to. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.